0: this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 28. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God.
1: This is the word of God. You may be seated. if this ever happens to you. You ever like reading something and then somebody else in your life is like reading the same thing? I think there's a phrase of like people reading your mail. I don't get that expression, but I think I understand it. So I've been... Um, over at, uh, over at the gym, in addition to all my other Bible reading I do, um, I was just reading through Genesis, and I came across something um, really interesting when uh, Jacob blesses his sons, when he blesses his son Judah. Um, let me read it to you. Verse 8 of chapter 49 of Genesis. By the way, this isn't in your thing. I've, I, I just decided right now I'm going to do that. Um, Judah, once again, Jacob, who'd be called Israel is blessing his son, Judah, Judah, your brother shall praise you and your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stood down. um, He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Verse 11. Binding his fowl to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his, ve- and his vestu- vestures in the blood of grapes. All the way back in Genesis 49, this was prophesied about—that his donkey and the cult of a donkey would be tied—and this is what we have here. So I say that because my. So I just read that. I'm at the gym and I'm reading. I have to like. I have to like, like time things so I can read right at the gym because I'm on the treadmill, and um, I'm like I'm 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 doing. I'm like, whoa! I've read this a hundred thousand times and I never quite got that. And then a friend of mine calls me this last week, what he's preaching on, and he's like, do you know that uh, this is prophesied in Genesis? Like, I do know this. (laughs) I do. You know, Palm Sunday is an exciting day. It's an exciting day in church. In fact, Holy Week is my favorite time of the year. I know I've said that before, but I really mean it. I mean, I could really care less about most of the year. I and mean, it's just really the same thing to me. I mean, Christmas is fun because everybody else is having a good time. But man, Holy Week is where it's at. Holy Week is a week of really, of excitement because it's a week of meaning. You know, there's people who don't, are not Christians, don't believe Jesus is God, but they still celebrate Christmas. Okay, you really have to at least consider Jesus to celebrate Easter because you don't get the day off. So yeah, it's up to you what you want to do with Easter. So... Palm Sunday is an exciting Sunday. We give these to your kids and we see how long it is before they start um, you know, abusing the right and you've got to take it away from them um, when they start hitting their neighbors or each other with them. And it was an exciting time in Jerusalem at the time as well. It was one of three holidays in which people were very highly, highly encouraged to get over to Jerusalem for the sacrifices. You have this one, you have Pentecost, and you have Tabernacles. This was Passover. Passover. And in Passover, they remembered what God had done for their forefathers when they were in the land of slavery and they 're in the land of Egypt. He had rescued them from slavery, He had rescued them from Egypt with a mighty hand, an outstretched arm, and the last plague he used when they finally really let them go sort of they, they followed them afterwards and then they got drowned but it was the death it was the death of the firstborn, and every person, every person firstborn son would die, which is probably one of the worst things. You would rather die than your firstborn son die. You'd rather everybody in your house die rather than your firstborn son because your firstborn son, that was your hope for the future. Everybody would have had that happen unless they took a lamb, pure spotless lamb, kills it, kill it, take the blood and put it on the doorpost and the threshold. If you did that, it didn't matter who was inside the house. But if you had the blood of the Lamb on the house, the judgment would pass over you. So they would celebrate every Passover. And it wasn't only that, it was all of the events as well, including the covenant, the third covenant, the Mosaic covenant that God made with the people. And during that time, it's an exciting time. People are gathering together. And here comes Jesus, and they're excited. Here comes the king. Here comes the one prophesied about, the covenant God made with our forefathers, with David. He's here. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know what Hosanna means? It doesn't just mean praise God. I'm glad that they don't translate or over-translate it in our translations because we wouldn't get this. It doesn't just mean praise the Lord. It also means save us. It literally means save us. Jesus is coming into the town and they're all crying out, save us. And they're excited. Why would they be excited? They have all these expectations of the Messiah. They have this expectation. In fact, we see this in the language that's used in our reading today and in the other readings of the Triumphant Entry. They call him the Son of David. I think it's in Mark where they say they say the kingdom of the Son of David. That was the that was the fourth covenant, fourth major covenant, the Davidic covenant that there would be a king always on the throne. Now, the Davidic covenant enforces the Abrahamic covenant in which the people of Israel would take possession of the land, that the descendants of Abraham Abraham, would possess the land, and that is enacted by the covenant of David, which there would be a king always on the throne. But here's the problem. There hadn't been a king of any sort on the throne in a very long time. In a very long time. In fact, one of the last kings of Judah, you know what happens to him? After he sees his sons being killed in front of him, they gouge out his eyes. So for 400 years, they're wondering, where's the promise? Will God keep his covenant to us? And here comes Jesus, and he's fulfilling prophecy of Zechariah, the prophecy of of Israel himself, of a king coming. And yes, that's why they're excited. That's why they're screaming, save us. Like I said, Palm Sunday is a day of excitement, but it's nothing compared to the excitement on the first Palm Sunday that we read of, read about. I mentioned the covenant God made with Abram this last week, that the people, that day they were thinking of that covenant, they were thinking of the Davidic Covenant in the language that they were using. They have found the king who would make all their wildest dreams come true. It's true. Jesus is the king of kings. And they, and they were all saying, hail to the king, but he isn't the king they wanted. And that's the tragedy of it. Everyone wants a king. However, they don't want Jesus to be their king. Generally, it's because, generally why people don't want Jesus to be their king? Because they settle for something less than God's best. He would not just free them from the Romans. He would free them from sin itself. They wanted physical deliverance from, by the, from the Romans and their land back, they were focused on four of the five covenants that we went over last week. But God also made them a promise. He told them about a new covenant. And Jesus Christ would be the sacrifice of the new covenant. He'd be the priest of the new covenant. He'd be the prophet of the new covenant. And he'd be the king of the new covenant. Last week in my message, I, we were going over Genesis 15 and I spoke in detail about the Abrahamic covenant. That's not the only covenant in the Old Testament. It's one of the five major covenants. A covenant is a promise, but it's so much more than a promise. It's more than a guarantee of what is to come. Last week, we ta- I, we had, I spoke of the Abrahamic covenant, how God told Abraham to take all these animals, and Abraham knows what to do. He splits them in two. He makes a path. And then he waits for God, and then God appears in a theophany, meaning not in his full glory, but in a way that won't just fry Abram. And he appears in this smoking, flaming pot and a torch, flaming torch, and he walks through these animals. I mentioned how this was very similar to the Caesarean vassal covenant. And in verse 17 of chapter 15, it's one of the most important verses in the scripture, and that after I was done preaching, you wouldn't skip over it anymore. You'd understand how powerful that is. So I thought this was cool. Brent Owen had mentioned to me when he was in college, he had a class of religion, of Christianity in Hollywood. And his professor, a Jewish man, was going over this. And he was, he was going over exactly what I was teaching you last week of the Caesarean Vassal Covenant and how this mirrors that. And then he skipped over that verse, which I thought was, I was like, thank you for telling me that, friend. Because that's what I was saying. This is like, this is one of the most important verses in the Bible because God alone goes through that valley of blood. And he puts it on himself, The curse. The major covenant after this would be the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant's conditional. The Mosaic Covenant's conditional in which both parties say, I will do this, I will do this, and if I don't, I'll be cursed. If I do, I will be blessed. And what we read today in Jeremiah, God said, I kept my part, they didn't keep theirs. And it was another bloody covenant as well, because when, it, when Moses reaffirms the covenant with the people, he takes their sacrifice, he takes He puts it in two parts. One part, it was blood, and he threw it on the people. And the other part, he throws on the altar. Both parties are going through the covenant, but only one party actually kept his side of the covenant, and that was God. It's going to play into the rest of this as we see the covenant sacrifice making his way to the altar. Jesus Christ. Verse 17 has special significance to Christians is what Brent's professor had said. I mean, that's a cool opportunity to be like, okay, well, then I'm definitely reading it if you're just gonna skip over it. The writer of Hebrews, he agrees that this covenant is important and that Jesus fulfills this covenant and every other covenant as well. The people that day had in mind that covenant with Abram and the covenant with David, but they weren't ready for the new covenant. We see this from what they call Jesus. They say, praise for the son of David, and in verse 9 of Mark's account, it's even more abundantly clear. Sorry, in verse, uh, verse 10 of Mark 11, I think I have that for you guys. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. They're expecting a deliverance. Save us from, save us from our oppressors. In Matthew, they name him king and they name him prophet, but he is also a priest. He is a priest of a new and better covenant in the order of Melchizedek, he, who is the, the king of righteousness and of peace. Why did, Je- why did God the Son, who was, is, and will evermore be equal with God, incarnate himself into human flesh to live this life So many answers, so many answer this question, but very few are correct. Jesus Himself gives us the answer in the chapter before the one we just read in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to show us the way. He came to make a way. He didn't come to show us what a really good person's like who's done in by an unjust government. He came to be the covenant sacrifice of a new covenant, a better covenant. He came to serve and to give his life. He is God's pure spotless lamb of a new covenant that will fulfill and expand all other covenants. It's in Christ we see why God made a covenant with Abram, why God, when he made the covenant with Abram, he walked through by himself. The context of the triumphal entry So what's difficult when you are not a liturgical kind of church is that we don't have a church calendar, so we haven't been going through the Gospels this whole time. So I'm going to sum up just everything in a short little paragraph, so hopefully you guys are cool with that. I want you to understand why the people in Jerusalem that day were excited for an earthly king who would conquer their enemies. It has to do with with the promises of God, two specifically. One last week, we talked about the promise God made to Abram that his children would possess the land and that he would have children. They also are, are, are believing the Davidic covenant that there would be a king on the throne of David forever. Um, I include the Abrahamic covenant because the Davidic covenant is how the Abrahamic covenant comes to fruition. God promises David that a son of his would sit on the throne forever. That's why when you read through the book of Kings with the kings of Judah, if there was a righteous king, he's called the son of David. It is why when people say Jesus, when they call him son of David, this is messianic language. In the exile, the last king was the last, before the exile, sorry, before the exile, one of the last kings of Judah, he has his eyes gouged out right after he sees his sons killed. So one is left to wonder, well, how will God fulfill his promise? I exclude the mosaic, even though the mosaic is on people's minds, it's on the Pharisees' mind. I don't know how you get so deluded into thinking that you are so righteous that, great, God is, God is going to bless us because we have not broken his law. However, I don't believe that they really thought that or else they'd be dancing in the streets and they would be shouting, um, blessed, blessed be Israel for keeping God's, God's law and in return God has sent us a king. I blame some of this as well on just modern movie adaptations of Bible events. But there was a real chance they could have actually defeated the Romans as well. Now it sounds crazy because you watch Bible movies and in the Bible movies, the Israelites are just seen as victims. But okay, two things would lead a person in first century Jerusalem to believe, hey, if we have a king, we can really do some damage. Here's one. Before, during the intertestamental period, the 400 years, they are oppressed by the Greeks. They defeat the Greeks. Much larger, well-equipped force with a bunch of guerrillas in the mountains. And, it, and it, from there, you have the Hasmonean dynasty. Meaning you have people who are ruling Israel, who are Israeli, but it's not by God and it falls apart on, its, on itself. Here's the second one. In 70 AD, Jerusalem is utterly destroyed. But before this, we have the siege of Jerusalem by Titus, who would later become Caesar, and it took them, it's one of the hardest fought battles Rome ever had. It's really cool. I don't want to, I would love to just go through it because it is really neat. See, they, they, they stopped them at the gates and they had tunnels underneath and they would set ambushes. And if they, they could have fixed their logistic problems, maybe they could have held out longer. But they didn't. And they were utterly destroyed according to the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Where he says not one stone will be left on another. Happens. They have Expectations. They have an expectation for a conquering king. When their expectations are not met, they hate the one who they once called blessed. He start, we start this week with Hosanna. We will end it with crucify him. Um, Ella had re- drove me a picture last week. She's trying, trying me pictures right now, in fact. And it was really cool. She put on one side the palm branch and the words um, Hosanna, and on the other side was the cross and said crucify him. I think it's cool. Sometimes you don't realize, like, how much somebody's getting. Especially, I mean, I don't know. I I know, um, like, Dave, you were a teacher, and you're wondering, I was like, these kids learning anything? And then, like, the kid you've been having so much trouble with gets, like, an A on the test, and you're like, what? I mean, you were staring off into the middle distance the whole time. How did you get? uh, It's just, it's amazing to see what what people pick up. Um, It was just a couple of weeks ago. I, I spoke of their father, Abram, and how he had a choice between two kings he could either have the blessing of the king of peace and the king of righteousness or he could have the blessing of the king of sodom the king of sin he chose he chose the king of righteousness and the king of peace here's the tragedy about unmet expectations false expectations when it comes to god is that we will then choose the king of sodom over the king of peace And we see that in the Passion Week. When Jesus is arrested and he's brought before Pilate, Pilate thinks, I've got a great way out of this where I don't lose face. It's my custom to release to them one of the prisoners. This is going to be a no-brainer because the other guy is a murderer and this guy is one of their prophets who earlier in the week they were saying, Hosanna, this is easy. He's like, I'll look strong And I'll get out of this. So he puts before him a guy named Barabbas and he has Jesus. And here's the sad thing. They would rather have the man of the world, the man of violence and the man murder than they would have the king of peace. So many people, they have their expectations of God and how they want God to save them, but God will not save you on your terms. He'll save you on his terms. And if that's not acceptable to you, then he's not really your king. If you want a king who will do whatever you want him to do, then you're really king. Hebrews 8, 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it has enacted on better promises. And that is in Holy Week, I want us to have this idea that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice and priest of the new and better covenant as he is King and Lord and prophet. At the last supper, Jesus takes the cup and after he blessed it says that this is the New Testament or new covenant in my blood. And this new covenant has come to the people that day The new covenant mirrors in many ways the old covenants God had made with their fathers, with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. The sacrifice is prepared. Jesus Christ has now come to Jerusalem, and he has prophesied several times that the Son of Man must come to Jerusalem where he will be flogged and crucified, dead, and risen to new life. In the triumphal entry, we see the king coming to his city, but we also see the covenant sacrifices come to the temple for the sacrifice. Our principal text today will actually be what the new covenant promises are. Last week when I talked about the old covenant, you had the terms and you had the preparation of the sacrifice. In the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday, we've already had the terms. The terms have been long since passed in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes, no, e- Ezekiel, in the ministry of Jesus Christ himself, coming up to Jerusalem, now the sacrifice has been prepared. The animals have been gathered. So when we look at this, I want to talk about the ones that we had read about in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, that the three promises of the new covenant, an awareness of sin, Two, a transformed heart. And three, a special relationship. An awareness of sin. This is one of the, this is your birthright as a new covenant believer. Let me say this again. This isn't for special, really spiritual Christians. This is your birthright as a new creation, as someone who was born again. First one is an awareness of sin. In Jeremiah 31, 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Old Covenant, the major part of the Old Covenant, all four of them there, right? Uh, Yeah, all four of them is this, is the law. That was kind of the centerpiece. Do these things, and they would read the law. They would teach the law. In fact, some people are called teachers of the law that you read about in your New Testament translations, And they would tell each other, know the Lord, do these things. And they wouldn't do them. And they wouldn't know. God says, I will write them on your heart. This is how much greater the new covenant is than the old. The old covenant, they were written down on tablets of stone. In the new covenant, they are written on the hearts of believers. But who wants that? After the triumphal entry, Jesus cleanses the temple and people are not happy about it. Right after the triumphal entry, he goes to the temple and, he, and he's horrified by what he sees because his father's house should be a house of prayer, but they've made it a den of robbers. So you know what Jesus does. Some, you know We used to have those bracelets. What would Jesus do? It's, it's entirely possible he could be taking this stuff, flipping over tables, letting the, the, the animals free. Jesus comes to the temple and um, we have to draw a little bit from history on this, of what had happened. The... Um, the corruption that had entered into Second Temple Judaism, and it's this: you would come to one of the holy days, the high holy days, and you would bring your sacrifice. Maybe it was a lamb you raised since birth, and it was your and it was your prize lamb. You're going to bring it for the sacrifice because out of devotion for Jesus and a devotion, sorry, a devotion for the Lord. They didn't know Jesus yet, but they will. Um, they get to the temple, and they get to the, den- the, the temple courts like Jesus did, and here's all these people buying and selling, and they look at yours, and they're like, that's no good. What do you mean it's no good? A lamb chop here, there's nothing on her. <laughs> and they're like, No, 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 good. See, she's got a spot right there. So that's her nose. What are you talking about? It's no good. You can't do the sacrifice with that. You need to buy my premium lamb that is 10 times the cost of this one. So I had no clue before I read about all this that Disney existed in the first century. (laughs) Apparently they were in charge of the sacrifices. And um, so, yeah, they, they, they were taking advantage of people. You know, it's probably one of the sickest things people do is try to take advantage of somebody's genuine faith. I can think of no greater violation. And, of course, we have so many examples of that. So Jesus sees that. He flips over the table. He cleanses the temple. And very few people are very very happy with this. So in the New Covenant, we have an awareness of sin. But truly, you need to know the Lord before you actually want to value that. His law is written on their hearts. Apparently, the wise—who would want that? Apparently, the wise and righteous person of Psalms chapter 1— for they delight in the law of the Lord. Can I say that again? They delight in the law of the Lord. Even when you go through the New Testament, Paul has to like fight against this. In fact, Sunday school this morning, there was a little bit about this. Where it's like, okay, just because the promise is greater than the law, just because of relationship with Christ, the new covenant is greater, does not mean the law is not valuable In fact, the wise, righteous person delights in the law of the Lord. It's not that the law makes us righteous or that if we do enough good things that God will accept us. It's as John described it in 1 John. It's a result of walking in the light. That like Abram, we believe and now we've been counted as righteous. Now we are free to love the law, to delight in the law. We couldn't before because the law condemned us. But now that we know Jesus Christ and the curse of the law is off of us, we start seeing in our life the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we're like, okay, I know I'm not that patient. Where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. And then I know I am his son because he disciplines me. You know you're his daughter or son because he disciplines you. We love the law of God and delight in it because we are forgiven and justified by this new covenant. He has written his law on our hearts. Many will say they have a relationship with God. I remember this one actress, she did this movie and it was disturbing to say the least, spiritually speaking. And she was saying the hardest part for her was to say that she was an atheist in it because her relationship with God is is so important to her. Well, what's your relationship with sin? Because the new covenant says that if you have a new relationship with God, you will have a new relationship with sin. You will not love your sin and then just try to cover it up and do enough good things so maybe the scales will balance out. No, you hate your sin because it put Christ on the cross and he has now written his law on your hearts. A major part of the old covenant was the law. The law's purpose, though, was to lead them to a savior. In the law, in the law is, the co- is a covenant, one made in blood, that if you, follow, if you follow it, God will bless you. But if you do not follow it, like that Caesarian vassal covenant, in fact, it was a very similar to Caesarian vassal covenant with the law. You don't follow it, what happened to those beasts should happen to you they didn't follow it god didn't wipe them off the face of the earth so he sends his son to take on the curse that they said that they would live under and moses actually does this twice so that they have no excuse we didn't understand the terms they understood the terms and they couldn't even get off the mountain without making an idol the law is supposed to show us how incredibly powerless we are to save ourselves. But you know what ends up happening? People prefer ritual to relationship, and that is where legalism comes from. When you prefer ritual to relationship, legalism abounds. It's why Jeremiah, what Becker read today, verse 32, Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on, that, on the day when I took them, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. I'm not a very emotional person. I was going over this this morning and I I was overcome because I remember in Hosea, Hosea is the broken heart of God over his people Israel. And there's, so... God tells the prophet, I want you to marry this prostitute. She's going to be unfaithful to you. She's going to have children from other men. I want you to give them these names. I want you to name one of them no love because I don't love Israel anymore. I want you to name the other one not my people because they're not my people. I want you to name the third one after the valley that they sinned against me in. But then God would go further in Hosea and he says that he will take them to the wilderness and he will woo them. And the one he says, not my people, you will be my people. The one I said, you are not loved, I will love. And I will take you to that valley and you will be my people. This is why religion will always result in legalism. It's just varieties of sin mixed with pride, thinking I can be just on my own, but this new covenant says he will write his law on my heart. The law is perverted when somebody sees it as a way of gaining God's favor, as one that would lead them, would pursue them of the one who would woo them in the desert. Here comes the king of this new covenant, but he is king on his own terms, not on ours. How dare he, right? He will write his law on our hearts. Well, we will not have this man as our king. That is from one of the parables of Jesus Christ. The second promise of the new covenant is a transformed heart. In Ezekiel 36:26, the Lord says, "And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh." This last week we saw we saw crushingly another example what a heart of stone looks like. What could possibly possess somebody to go into an elementary school and start shooting, right? It's a heart of stone. And people have different types of brokenness and sin, but if they are not kneeling to Jesus Christ, they are choosing the heart of stone. Pharaoh chose his heart of stone. Some people say, is it fair that God hardens Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh hardened his heart so many times before God hardened his heart, Pharaoh's heart for him. So many want to rush to blame so many things, but really, when it comes down to it, it's this. People will not have Jesus as their king. They want to keep their heart of stone. And this was the problem of the Old Covenant. And, and in fact, in, from the beginning of the Old Covenant, of the Second Covenant of Moses, mean Third Covenant, Moses, when the covenant God is referring to in Jeremiah was made, Moses knew the Israelites wouldn't and couldn't keep it. It's why he says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4, But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. People who have no real concept of God or his law still have a law that they try, but they fail to follow it. In Romans 1, it says that the Gentiles, they don't even know the law, but they have a law on their hearts that they then break. The deepest and oldest fear of humanity isn't the unknown, it's judgment. We know as surely as if we had made the covenant ourselves that we deserve to die for our sins. In Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God tells them to stop this saying in both of those books, which include the new covenant. He says, stop this saying right now. The father eats sour grapes and his son's teeth are set on edge. This continues to make its way into churches. How? When you have the clear command of God, stop saying that you are under some kind of curse because of what your dad did. God says, I judge you. And that's where it leads up to the soul that sins shall die. And this is something that we know that every person knows intuitively in their heart, that we have sinned against God. If there is any covenant we've made, we have broken it with him, and we deserve to die. And that is why God sends his son, born under law, born to a woman under law, to redeem us who are under law. His son would be the seed of Abram, the seed, sorry, the seed of Eve the seed of Abram, the seed of David, and he would redeem those who are under law. And he would fulfill, God has already fulfilled his part of all these covenants. In Jesus Christ, he fulfills mine and your part of the covenant. And that is why when when you came to Jesus Christ, all of the curse of sin is on Jesus Christ. Forgiven much loves much. The New Covenant believer loves much because he has a new heart. John, in his first letter, makes this clear. In fact, John uses the New Covenant promises as the roadmap for a genuine believer. In the Old Testament, it tells us a New Covenant believer would be X, Y, and Z, and he says a New Covenant believer is X, Y, and Z. In the life of Jesus, we see this as an example with this woman who comes to Jesus. We are told she's a sinful woman, many translations say she's a harlot. And she comes and she he is in the he's in the home of a, a really prominent person, a Pharisee, and she comes to him and she falls down at his feet, and she is just weeping, her tears are falling on his feet, and she takes his hair, her hair, and washes his unwashed feet with her tears and with her hair. And everybody's like, If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. And so Jesus tells them. Who's ever been forgiven much loves much. Amen. And I don't know if any of them really got it. Actually, I really don't think many of them got it. I think one person ends up getting it, who maybe heard about her, maybe she was actually there. See, for many, many years, we've conflated three people together. They're probably three different individuals um, Mary Bethany, Mary Magdalene, and this sinful woman. And you know, if I think that there's three people who couldn't care less that they're being conflated together, it would be Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, and the sinful woman that we read about. Because I have to believe that Mary of Bethany heard about what happened here. She used to sit at Jesus' feet and her was being told. And we're told in the, the Gospels that this is big news, that everybody's talking about this, all the things that Jesus does. In fact, Luke figures this out, and Luke wasn't even there. So Mary of Bethany Her brother dies, named Lazarus, and Jesus waits a good long time until, in the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. And he comes, and he has the full intention of raising Lazarus from the dead. And he gets over there, and Lazarus' first sister, Martha, she confronts him, and he gives her her a doctrine statement, because that's what she needed to hear. Then he comes to Mary, and Mary says the same thing that Martha says, but she says it in such an emotional, heartfelt way, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if you've ever been there. I hope not. Where you were waiting on a miracle and it didn't happen the way you would think it was going to happen. And you're like, if you had been here, my whomever would not have died. And Jesus doesn't tell her, and don't you believe I'm the resurrection and the life like he told her sister? It says that he wept. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. He wept. So then during Passion Week because we're not a liturgical church we don't have Monday Thursday which is we believe Thursday is when this would have happened or Wednesday sorry Wednesday is when this would have happened holy Wednesday. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and Mary who had confronted Jesus and said if you had been here my brother would not have died. And he is Lazarus is hanging out with Jesus. Mary comes in and I don't know maybe she just didn't have tears left to shed but she's like what do I got in my house? I got this, it's worth a whole year's wage. Do you have anything in your house worth a year's wage? I don't think I do. I mean, I guess maybe, I don't know, we, we buy cheaper cars. I was gonna like, our car? No, no, we, pay, we, we buy cheaper cars. I don't have anything in my house that's worth my, a year's wage. But if I did, she's like, okay, this, this, I got this. And she comes to Jesus and she breaks it and pours it on his feet and she wipes it with her. She heard the story of the woman who had done this and she understands this. A new covenant believer loves much because they've been forgiven much. She's not the sinful woman, but she is. She's not the person who stands at the altar, pounds their ses- chest and says, thank you, God, I am not like other women, like that sinful woman who broke, who, who washed your feet with her tears. She would say, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. Not only am I no better, I know that I've been forgiven as much This is what the hope of a new covenant believer is, is to have a new heart. Jesus comes in peace. Kings in Jesus' time do not normally ride donkeys, except if it was peacetime. Conquerors rode massive stallions like Alexander the Great. Jesus comes in peace as the mediator of a new covenant. And first of this new covenant, he will purify his bride. He will give her a new heart. The concept of the Messiah coming on a donkey is as old as the, as the blessing Jacob promises to Judah. I read that for you before. But so is the Davidic covenant, which we find there as well. Hebrews says that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, who is the king of peace and king of righteousness. Isaiah says that he shall be called the prince of peace. And here he is, tell the people of Jerusalem Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. We also get a new relationship. um, Ezekiel, I don't know why I keep saying Ecclesiastes. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 27 and 28. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes And be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I will give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. In the Old Covenant, God had a people, Israel. And he had told Abram, he told Isaac, he told Jacob, I have plucked you from the nations. In the New Testament, we're called the church. And the word we translate as church is "ecclesia," And it means the called out ones. We have a special relationship and it is greater than the old covenant. In fact, the old covenant was kind of difficult because people would be like, well, I'm a citizen of Israel, so the promises apply to me. And they would do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord and God would punish them. And we have in the New Testament where where the apostle Paul says, not all of Israel is Israel. In the New Testament, we see this isn't a people comprised of an ethnicity, but of an ethnicity of heart of an adoption of spirit. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah implies, but Ezekiel says straight out, God intends to put his, his spirit inside of us. Can you comprehend what that means? Because I can't. The heavens cannot contain him. The earth cannot hold him. But he chooses here to dwell. How much difficulty, how much sorrow, how much anxiety do we hold on to with an iron grip when we have the Holy Spirit, the one who sets us free inside of us? Then you go to the book of Revelation, you see the, the church in Ephesus, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that, man, that should, that should bring us to tears. Why is he outside of the door? Your new covenant believer. Why isn't he inside? He says, you've forgotten your first love. You hate the things I hate, but you've forgotten your first love. The heavens cannot contain him. The earth cannot hold him. Heaven is his home and earth is his footstool, but he decides you are going to be his resting place. How many sorrows, difficulties, and doubts do you and I live in when within us is the Holy Spirit? You can see his work inside of you. I hope you can. If you can't, we need to talk about something different. But if you are a believer today, you should see his work inside of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It is the promise of a better covenant. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hail to the King. No one that day, though, is ready for the new covenant. This is painfully obvious. When you read the New Testament, the Gospels... People are excited for Christ, and they use messianic, they use new covenant kind of language, but nobody is saying, this is going to be awesome. Here comes the king. He's going to put his Holy Spirit inside of us. No, they say, Hosanna, save us. Save us from the Romans. It's painfully obvious that so many in our day are not ready for the new covenant either. They want to live in the old covenant, and not even the spirit of the old covenant, but by the letter of the old covenant, because they want to think that, well, if I do enough good things, if I do enough good deeds to balance out my bad deeds, then God will have to accept me. They don't want a new heart. They don't want the law written on their hearts, and they don't want a special relationship with God either. They want ritual, not relationship. There is nothing in the new covenant that is predicated on ritual. It is relationship. There is nothing you can do, no incantation, no ceremony, including baptism, including the Lord's Supper, that is apart from relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not in relationship and you have communion on Friday, you've just eaten, some, you've eaten a cracker, you're drinking some juice, and you might actually be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. If you're saying if you get baptized and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you, you had a, a little bath in front of everybody with your clothes on bringing the sacrifice to Jerusalem. Many in the crowd that day brought their animals with them. Maybe it was was one they brought up since it was just newborn. They traveled days and days to make the trip, and the lamb was by their side the whole time. Now God the Father so loved the world that he has now brought his sacrifice to fulfill not his side of the promise, but our side of the promise because he was the only one walking through those bodies in the covenant of Abram. In the new covenant, he will complete both sides himself. The sacrifice is prepared. The terms are set. When Abraham, when Abraham, um, when God had told him to get the animals ready, he gets them ready. He then tells him the terms of the covenant before the covenant was cut Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been brought to the place of sacrifice and the terms have been set for a long time. He has identified himself as this sacrifice and that before Abraham was, he says, I am. And come Friday, the new covenant in his blood will be cut. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Are you a new covenant believer? If you are, do you have an awareness of sin like I've talked about? Do you, have, do you have a new relationship with God? Is his Holy Spirit in you? Are you living the things that God has called you to? Do you have a changed heart, a new heart, an awareness of sin, a special relationship? If you don't, Why? Well, one, it may be because you're not actually a new covenant believer. You may have done something. You may have prayed a prayer, but that doesn't make you saved. We just read about what makes you saved. He puts his spirit into you. He gives you a new heart. He gives, he writes his law on your heart. If you're like, okay, that's not me. Maybe you did something religious in the past, but you don't know the Lord today. So today call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Or two, maybe you really are. But because of sin, you're in a place that you know you're not supposed to be. And it's causing you numb to your birthright. I say this again, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your birthright. Not a special blessing on top of it. This comes with it. And the sorrow of the Lord that so many Christians are not living this way. Are not living in this freedom and this peace. Because they have allowed so much of the lies of the world so much of the things of this world to distract them away from the blessing God has for them. But today, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. He has saved you. He is saving you. He will save you. He'll give you a new heart. He'll put his Holy Spirit inside of you. He'll give you awareness of sin and you have this special relationship. Today, as we finish in our last song, this is our time to reflect on the scripture today. So if you do find yourself that this isn't in me, either one, it's because you've allowed so much of the world to numb you to the voice of the shepherd, or two, you don't really know him. So call upon the name of the Lord during this last song and he will save you. And you will see these three things in your life.